Bible reading today is from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. For the kingdom of God is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them one denarius for the day's work and sent them out into the vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever's right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around and he asked them, why are you standing here all day doing nothing? No one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages. Beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and they received their denarius. So when the others who were hired first came, they expected to receive more. But each one of them received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, my friend. Didn't you agree to work for one denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So, the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Geraldine and Rosemary. 
Isn't it wonderful to have a new insight into a story you've heard so many times before? I love that they ran off to the, to the vineyard. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word tells us that our wisdom is like foolishness to you. But Lord, we long for your wisdom. Please open the eyes of our heart to your truth this morning. Amen. I'm just going to have to put this down a little bit. She's quite unusual. Must have been David last week, was it? Was it you, Peter? Ooh. Perhaps you're taller than I thought you were. There we go. So, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. I'm going to start with a question. What do you think heaven is like? Will it be a place where you always get what you want? Will it always be sunny? That would be nice, wouldn't it? Will there be good things to eat and drink? Will you be there? Tell your neighbor what you think heaven will be like for you. There's lots of thought about that, lots of chat. I suppose we all have hopes, don't we, what heaven will be like. Today we continue with our summer series of looking at stories Jesus told. He told this particular story to help people think a bit about what heaven is like. Jesus is describing something we don't understand in terms of something we do, well, at least the listeners he was talking to would have been familiar with it. In places in South Africa, this scenario still happens. At the very beginning of the day, people gather in an accustomed place in the informal settlements to be picked up and taken off to the city or somewhere to work for the day. They agree right at the start what wages they'll work for. Here in the story, it's a denarius, that tiny coin that Peter spoke of last week. There's considerable competition for employment because these people are poor. They have no job security, no NHS to catch them if they fall on hard times and don't find work or they're unwell. They need the denarius for the day. They're up bright and early, Um, And employers who need workers pick from whom they would employ in the crowd. It's quite an impoverished rural economy, not really like Bath in the 21st century at all. So I had to think a bit harder about this. And the nearest situation I could imagine to this, stay with me here, it's like when you're in PE class at school and the cool kids got to choose the sports teams. I really hated that experience because the important thing was not to be last, wasn't it? 
not to be the one no one wanted. I think most of us have been scarred by that particular form of torture at some point in life. Now, if you're particularly sporty, perhaps you avoided the anxiety. If you were strong and fit and would obviously be an asset to the team, you'd be snapped up first, wouldn't you? Then came the also-rans, the reasonably capable but never going to get a medal types. And finally, the awful business of the ones with two left feet, the daydreamers, the unfit, and the frankly unlovely. And of course, somebody always had to be last. Nobody wanted to be that person, did they? In this story, Jesus talks of just such a picking of talent. The Landover went out early and he selected his first choice team from the crowd. Now, if you were sporty in your school days, you might know how that felt. The glory of being picked out first. I wouldn't know, but I expect it feels quite good. These people now know that they're assured of their supper. They will be allowed to earn income to support their families. Their skill and strength and usefulness has been affirmed. Then, later on, about nine o'clock, so the others started work really early, the landowner comes back. Maybe he has a very very big vineyard and he's keen to get the harvest in. Maybe he's just a generous chap and he thinks it won't harm his business to give these other families work for the day. It's quite unusual, but we don't know. Anyway, he engages them and he agrees to pay them the going rate and they go off to work. This unusual landowner makes several trips to the gathering place throughout the day. Midday, three o'clock, and he does the same thing. He collects anyone looking for work and he engages with them. Even at 5 p.m., he pops back to see if there's anyone he can employ. When he asks why these people are doing nothing, they say, because no one has hired us. Now, I think it's really interesting at this point because the landowner doesn't point out what is obvious to Jesus' listeners, and that's this. Their answer is not the whole truth because he himself has popped by every couple of hours to give work to anyone who's actually looking for it. If these five o'clock guys had been keen as mustard, they would have had work at dawn. Now, if you were uncharitable, you might say they've had as much work as they deserved. What do you suppose they've been doing all day? Maybe they've had a lie-in and a long lunch break. Maybe they were not feeling very well or had family problems to deal with. Whatever the reasoning, we know they were not employed because they were not actually looking for work earlier in the day. Even so, the generous landowner 
takes them on at five o'clock in the afternoon. I wonder how they felt. Do you think they were surprised? Grateful? Relieved? Whatever set of circumstances drew them to this point in the day, they would at least get a bit of work. The story allows us to imagine. Jesus' listeners would have been able to inhabit this surprising scenario because it drew on scenes they understood because they saw them every day. But then comes an astonishing twist in the tale. At the end of this extraordinarily long, hot working day, a day which has been much longer and arduous for some than for others, it comes the time for their pay packets. Imagine the joy and surprise of the five o'clock guys to be given a whole denarius, the rate for a whole day's work, when they had only worked in the vineyard for one hour. This was payment for work they know they have not done. Reward they know they haven't really earned. What a generous employer. Imagine also the anticipation of those waiting in line for their wages that started at dawn. If the latecomers were being paid a whole denarius, what riches would they receive? They really have worked hard and played by the rules. They have toiled in the hot sun for their master all day. Now we know Jesus loved to throw a cat among the pigeons when he told a story. And so not to disappoint, when the early risers come, I'm so sorry, I've lost my place. When the early risers come, they too are given one denarius. There is an outcry. It's not fair, they say. If you ever have had anything to do with small children, you've probably heard that phrase once or twice. It's not fair. She's got more than me. It's not fair. He's on the swing. It's not fair. I wanted the red cup. More often than not, the outcry is not really concerned with fairness and equality. It's more an expression that the child concerned doesn't like the situation that they have before them. Things haven't panned out quite so much to their advantage as they had thought they would. The workers who rose early and worked hard all day probably don't really care how much the other person has been paid, but they do think somehow they deserve a little bit more. But how is it unfair? Asked the landowner. I've paid you exactly what I promised you I would. Exactly what you agreed to work for. The landowner asserts his right to be generous 
if he so chooses. What do you think? Is it fair? How exactly is this story like the kingdom of heaven? This story is designed to make you think. Jesus is telling us something about the nature of heaven, the nature of God's kingdom and his priorities. Clearly, he wants to convey that God's priorities are not quite like ours. His ways are not like our ways. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord in the writings of Isaiah. Martin Luther, Reformation priest and theologian, said that the gospel cannot be truly preached without offense and tumult. Offense and tumult. Because the gospel often turns on its head the way we had understood the world. And it asks us to take another look. It asks us to value things differently. If this story of Jesus is anything to go by, Martin Luther might well be right. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the good law-keeping Jews who were listening, must have been quite outraged. What exactly was Jesus saying? Surely the kingdom of heaven was for people like them who kept the law and the best seats in the house would be for them who had been faithful for the longest time. So, what was Jesus saying to the crowd? The landowner in the story represents our heavenly father. He is a good and generous God. As he draws us to himself, he offers us the reward of eternal life. His concern is to see the harvest gathered. He is patient and kind, coming back again and again to the marketplace to see if he can't engage with more of the workers, more people who previously didn't want to be in relationship with him. He is as enthusiastic for the five o'clock crowd as he was at dawn, and he doesn't give up even when perhaps we have. I wonder who you identify with in the story. Are you an early adopter of the kingdom? Did you respond to the Lord at a young age and work hard for his harvest all your life? Keeping the rules, perhaps attending church or Sunday school, and honouring tradition and all the respectable ways you were taught in your youth? Your Heavenly Father delights to have you on his team, working with you to see the harvest of his kingdom gathered in. Your reward will certainly be a place in the kingdom of heaven, as he promised you, and he will say, Well done, my good and faithful servant as we heard in the story that Peter spoke about last week. What a wonderful, precious moment that will be.
Maybe you came to faith later in the day. Maybe you rebelled a bit and didn't want to restrict yourself to religious conformity like the later risers in the story. Perhaps you sought fulfillment elsewhere for a while and, like the latecomers to the marketplace, took a while to turn to Jesus and to begin a conversation with him. Or maybe the circumstances of your life gave you so many hurdles to overcome that you just couldn't get yourself to meet with him until later in the day, until you'd sorted life out a bit. That happens. Even so, he welcomed you to his family. Regardless of your late arrival, he offered you the same beautiful reward. Or perhaps, like the five o'clock guys, you've got quite a way through your life without ever getting round to talking to him at all. I wonder if they thought it was too late as they trailed into the meeting space so late in the day. I suppose they thought they'd missed the boat for the day and maybe they regretted the choices that they had made earlier on that left them with no expectation of ever even seeing the landowner in the distance, much less being engaged by him in conversation. They know they don't deserve a day's wages. And yet, to their complete amazement, the landowner stops and talks to them, lifting them out of depression and despair. He also offers them a full reward. He shows these very late arrivals a special tender care, I think. For the landowner does talk to them. He reaches out to them and gives them an opportunity to overcome their despair and see that something might be retrieved from the poor start they'd made of the day. Perhaps that might be you today. Perhaps you've spent your life doing other things. But whatever they are, this story tells us it is never too late to accept the Father's invitation. Even when we think all is lost and the situation is beyond hope, he reaches out to us and he welcomes us in. As I read this familiar story again in order to prepare for today, I was really struck by two things. The first is the persistence with which the landowner goes looking repeatedly for the workers. He doesn't leave them to come to him. But again and again and again, he goes looking to see if they've decided it's in time to engage with him yet. Nor does he say when he finds them, ah, oh, well, if you'd have been here, I offered you a chance. He doesn't want anybody to miss out. Even right at the end of the day, when the sun is almost ready to set, he is out there searching for more workers. Whatever you've been up to with your life, whatever the reason you have not engaged with your heavenly father, it is never too late. He is looking out for you, ready to invite you onto his team 
and begin a conversation to offer you the reward of eternal life. The second thing that struck me was the gentleness with which he reproved the early risers for their complaint. His tone is not terse or angry. I'm not being unfair to you, friend, he says. It's spoken with love and understanding. In the kingdom of heaven, no one gets less than they've been promised. And we all get more than we deserve. St. Paul writes to the Ephesian church, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepares in advance for us to do. As we gather around the communion table to receive the bread and wine that reminds us of his most precious gift to us, his death on the cross and resurrection to life, we all stand in the same place, being offered the same opportunity, whether we've done our best for all of our life to please him, or whether we haven't, in all honesty, given him much serious thought until this morning. We all receive the same unmerited reward, the gift of eternal life. In the words of the Graham Kendrick song, only by grace can we enter. Only by grace can we stand. Not by our human endeavor, but by the blood of the Lamb. Into your presence, you call us, you call us to come. Into your presence, you draw us. And now, by your grace, we come. Lord, if you marked our transgressions, who could stand? But thanks to your grace, we are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. This morning, we have another opportunity to respond to that call. We'll bring all that we have, all that we are, as we gather around the table and offer it in his service in response to his loving inquiry. It's not too late. Amen. Amen.